1 Timothy chapter 5. If you're in 5th through 6th grade, uh, you guys are dismissed today. But if you are not, uh, you, if you're in 1st through 4th, you get to stay in here with me. You excited? Oh, I just, I see the excitement all over Jack's face right here in the front row. All right, but I want to I talk to you 1st through 4th graders for a moment because the reality is, is the message that we have from God's Word here today is a message that is important for you. It's important for you. Because what we're going to share today has to do with parents and grandparents. As I thought about this passage, I thought of my great-grandmother, my mom's mother, who we called Mama. Mama was lived to be 99 years old. And she was cool lady. She was awesome. In fact, she used to refer to me, I think she just had it had something special for me. She used to call me brown eyes. Because I had these special darks, she said. She would make me uh, oatmeal cookies, fried chicken. It was awesome. She just did it just right. And she always had on her table these little lemon drops. And I love to go to her house because, you know, I'd go and get one, and you get a few more, and you you kind of fill up, you know what I'm saying? You fill up your pocket with these lemon drops. And Mama was awesome. She was also a funny lady, too. She had some of the funniest little sayings and things that kind of made you wonder. Things like, in regard to pride, she used to say, a bird never flew so high, it didn't have to come down for water. And she'd say that, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Or in regards to being a nosy neighbor, she used to say, you have enough to do to keep your own front porch clean. I said, porch clean? What are you talking about? And then my all-time favorite was this. My all-time favorite was this. More room than out than in. And this is always in regard to kind of gaseous issues, if you know what I'm talking about. She was funny. She was a funny lady. But one of the things about my grandmother as I saw was that as she got older and as my grandfather passed away, I watched my mother and my father as they attended to Mama. I watched the care that they had as she grew and as her heart failure, heart congestion got worse and worse. I watched as my dad would go over each week and he would line out the medicines that she, she needed to take and she would put them in the pill boxes in the right order that she had to do. I watched them agonize over, do we put her in a nursing home or do we not? Which one do we put her in? Uh, and then she would fight. She did not want to go to a nursing home. And so fortunately we were able to keep her in a home and have care there. She was only a few blocks away. And I watched even as my mom became a widow that her along with her sister continued to care for their mother. And it was a testimony to me. And so as I speak to you who are first through fourth grade, you need to know that one day you may be called upon to take care of your parents and grandparents. And that God has a word for you that you're commanded to do this. That's your responsibility. And so as you listen today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen up, Cameron. I want you to take notes, okay? I want you to even draw some pictures. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw, because I know sometimes it's easier to draw. I want you to draw a picture, first of all, what it would look like to take care of your parents or your grandparents. What are some things that you would do? Something that demonstrates care to your grandparents and parents. 
And then second, I want you to draw, because we're going to talk about this as well, uh, what it looks like to treat uh, the members of your family well. Your brother, your sister. Draw something to, that uh, illustrates that. Because if you remember last time I talked to you, we saw that in 1 Timothy 3, that Paul spoke of the church as the household of God. And what he was talking about is he wasn't talking about buildings and such things like that, but he was talking that the church was to be as family. That the church is a family. And as we come here this morning, one of the first things that we want to talk about is how the church is to be family. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my family, we have conflict. Matter of fact, I remember my sister, who is four years, almost four years older than I am, she used to be able to whoop up on me for the longest time. I know that's hard to believe right now. Let me just tell you, it didn't last that long, okay? Because there was a day that came. I remember it. She was sassing me for some reason. I was sitting on the couch. And it just, it just dawned on me, she can't do that anymore. And I got down on that floor, and I wrestled her, put her down on the ground. I think I might have put her in a full Nelson or something. And she realized that brother had gotten bigger. That was a great, amazing day, Jack. <laughs> you look forward to it, all right? But mom and dad knew that sons shouldn't treat their sisters in that way. And so they helped me along the way. That's not how you treat your sister, Matt. You don't put her in full Nelson. You respect her. You care for her. You stick up for her. And see, when, as Timothy is writing here in 1 first, first Timothy, he is having to deal with difficult issues. Deal, difficult issues within the family of God. And when he comes to first, or chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, in essence, what Paul is saying to Timothy is he's saying, hey, as you come and as you minister to your church family, who there are some issues you need to talk about, don't do it by putting them in a full Nelson. Instead, treat them as a healthy family. Look what it says here in the, in the text. Verse 1. It says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older men as mothers, or older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. In other words, he's saying the way we look at people should change the way that we treat people. And the way that we should look at fellow members of the body of Christ, Timothy, those to whom you're called to minister to, is you're to treat them as family. Now I say treat the church as healthy family because I'm well aware of the fact that there are many who come from families that are not healthy. There were mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers did not have people come along them and show them how to properly act. So let me just explain a little bit of what it looks like, first of all, what it looks like for older men in the church to, to treat them as fathers. This word, do not sharply rebuke an older man, it describes, literally, it describes more of a, or I'd say figuratively, it describes a, a verbal pounding. In essence, he's saying when you come to give instruction to these older men, don't come and just give them some kind of verbal pounding where you just say, hey, let me tell you how it is kind of thing. No, rather, come alongside of them, appeal to them, which is the, the Greek word parakaleo, which we get our word encouragement from as well, the idea of to call alongside. When you have to go and rebuke an older man, 
come alongside of them. Speak in an encouraging fashion to them. Now confront them, yes. Deal with the issue that needs to be dealt with. But view them as you would be speaking to your father. View them in that way. As one commentator said, view them as men with some degree of experience. Men who have survived crises in their life. Men who have developed a certain degree of understanding by virtue of having lived longer. View them that way. Give them respect. I found when you give older men respect, you have to correct them. You get a lot further with them than sharply rebuking them. He says here, then look at younger men in the church as brothers. In essence, what he's saying is, hey, don't come lording your authority over them. Don't come to them in an attitude of superiority. Instead, come alongside of them as this is your brother to whom you care about. You care about his well-being. And encourage him as well. Speak truth to him, but respect him and come with humility and speaking the truth and love. Then he says, look at older women in the church as mothers. The reality is I have thought as you have to go and you have to deal with older women. The reality is the thing that has struck my mind is that these women who I'm going to have to go share something difficult with, these are reality of women who have raised young pups like myself. Who have taught men like myself how to eat. How to walk. How to grow up and be a man. And so when I approach these older ladies, I need to come with that kind of attitude that I'm going to my mother. One who has experienced and has given much. And I need to come on not with sharp words, but I need to come at them with gentleness and affection and appreciation. Again, yes, we tell them truth. But it's the way that we deliver it and the way that we view them when we share the truth. And then he says, look at younger women in the church as sisters in all purity. Notice he puts that last remark in there, in all purity. Look at younger women as your sisters. This idea of purity is not just in moral behavior, but it's in your, your attitudes, it's in your thoughts, it's in your, your motives towards these women. I agree with the quote. It says there are few things as evil as a pastor who sins mentally or physically with a young woman he had been helping. The reality is that I've been in ministry enough and I've heard enough stories and I've actually seen it in front of me. The devastation that is left in the wake of pastors who have taken advantage of women. And it's evil. You say, Timothy, don't think or look at a woman in any way like that. Treat her in all purity. When I help guys with uh, issues of sexual lust and sexual immorality, one of the things you have to do is you have to reframe their thinking. Their minds need to be renewed. And so one of the things I early on I try to help them do is I say, look, guys, let's go all the way back to Genesis. And first of all, what I want you to see is that these women you lust over were created in the image and the likeness of God. And therefore, we need to treat them with such value as that. That these women are not objects of our lust, but they are women who have been created specially in the image and the likeness of God, and we must uphold them as that. And the second thing I move them to is this. I say, guys, look, that person you lust over, that person you're looking at in this way, that is somebody's daughter. And that is somebody's sister, possibly. 
And let me ask you this. Do you want someone looking at your daughter and your sister in that way? And what I try to do is I try to give them a whole new framework of how to look at a woman and to prize her and value her as a sister in Christ, as a part of the family of God. So we are to treat fellow church members as a healthy family. All right, so kids, have you drawn a picture? No, some of you are just, no. Get on it, okay? Second thing I want is I want you to draw a picture here of what it looks like to take care of your grandparents or, or a widow. Because we're called to take proper care of true widows. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, honor widows who are widows indeed. Now, messages on widows uh, do not rank high on sermon request list. I mean, how many of you have been thinking all year, Matt, would you preach a message on widows? Well, let me tell you something. Widows are a high priority on God's list. And therefore, it should be on ours as well. Remember, I, as a matter of fact, I think before we even explain some of this passage here, that for us to honor what it means to what it means or to understand what it means to honor widows, we must first grasp God's heart for widows. And God has a special place. They are special objects of His mercy. In fact, Scripture speaks powerfully of God's concern for widows and the way that God looks at them. First of all, He says in Psalm 68.5, God is said to be a father of the fatherless and a judge, meaning a protector, defender for widows. In Exodus 22, 22, he says this, You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does not cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. In other words, don't mess with widows. Don't mess with them. He says in Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is he who distorts the justice due in an alien, orphan, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. He said, you, you need to agree with this, is what he's saying. Do you agree with that? Let me hear an Amen. And he says this in Isaiah 1, verse 17. He says, Learn to do good, seek justice, remove, reprove the ruthless, depend, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. They just speak on behalf of the widow. Stick up for the widow. That's what he's calling his people out to do. In the Gospels, we come to Christ and we see the compassion that Christ has towards widows throughout the Gospels. We see it in Luke chapter 7 when, when it says that Christ has compassion on this widow who has lost her son. And it has such compassion that He actually raises the widow's son. We see this compassion all the way to the point where His mother is at the foot of the cross. And we believe at this point that Mary is no doubt that she is a widow. And as He sees His mother on the foot of the cross... He, he goes down and he says this. Let me read it to you. He says, Woman, behold your son. He's looking at John, the apostle whom he loved. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Even that moment when he's on the cross and he's suffering, the weight of sin is upon him. He's thinking about his mother's well-being, a widow. Guess what? We're called to follow after Christ. We should have concern. We should have a heart for widows that our Savior and our Lord God, Jesus Christ, has as well. So, here's the question, though. So how do we 
care for these widows? And, and to whom specifically do we care for? Let's first look at this. How? The first is we are taught literally to honor widows or more literally keep on honoring. It's a continuous aspect. It's, a, it's supposed to be an ongoing thing here. Now, this word for widow in Greek is, is broader than what I think our English word is. Our English word typically refers to those widows who have just lost a mate. I think it's possible that within the Greek that it's even considering those who have lost a husband via death, yes, but desertion, divorce even, or even imprisonment. In reality, such a loss in the first century was a, was a precarious situation for a widow. Not only was it a great, immense emotional loss, but the reality was that the kind of employment she would need to support herself was, was scarce. The reality is that she would be facing uh, probably age too old to do the work that she needed to do to make a living. It was a reality that she did not have things like Social Security, Medicare, or retirement plans. And so it was important that the church would step up. This word honor can mean to set a price on or estimate or, or value. And in reality, it, has a, it carries a double meaning of respect and financial support. In essence, what he's calling us to do, and it takes wisdom and discernment what this looks like, but he's calling us to care, value the widow, honor her, work and help her meet her emotional needs, her practical needs, and also, as needed, her financial needs as well. Is what he's calling us to do. Now, growing up in my neighborhood as a little boy, there were several widows that lived in our neighborhood. But there was one widow who lived across the street from us. Her name was Mrs. Thomas. I had kind of an uneasy feeling about Mrs. Thomas. She was just one of those ladies who, like, just complained all the time. And she had kind of an unusual smell about her. As a kid, I picked up on these things. All right? And, and every time a, uh, a storm would, as a matter of fact, I spent a lot of time taking meals over to her. Hey, Matthew, here's a meal. Take this over to Mrs. Thomas. Go. Go. Or whenever a storm would roll through, all of a sudden you would hear like, ring, 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 ring. Uh, Mrs. Thomas just called. Matthew, uh, open the door for Mrs. Thomas. Or, hey, let's go get Mrs. Thomas. Because every time a thunderstorm would come, she would often want to come over to our house because she was scared of them. And I'd be thinking, What's, why is she so scared of a thunderstorm? And this from the kid who was sneaking in his parents' bed when the thunderstorms came at night. And so she would make her way over, and she would come and she would sit down in our living room chair, and she would take off that plastic wrap thing they would put around their heads, all right? And she would sit down and... I would just kind of stare at her. But it wasn't until I grew and I matured that I began to understand what my mom and dad were doing. That my mom and my dad were honoring and valuing a widow. And thereby reflecting the heart of God. That made an impression on me. It should make one on us too. So as individual believers, we're to take opportunities to care for widows. We have responsibility towards them as a church, but the reality is we can't take care of every widow, nor should we. 
So in our passage, I believe that Paul gives us what I think is five different types or kinds of widows for us to think about. And there's some overlap in them as well, so it's not a clean break. But the first is this. If you notice in verse 3 again, he speaks of widows indeed. Honor widows indeed, or, or those who are truly widows, or those who are really widows, is what he's saying. And then he gives some qualifications for this. Now again, I don't think it's that we shouldn't attend to uh, or help in some way or some fashion uh, every widow as possible. But the reality is there's only certain ones the church should more fully care for and give even more attention and focus to. They should actually be their first attention. Look at verse 5 with me. Drop down a verse there. It says, Now we... Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. And so as he's saying, here's the qualifications for widows indeed. First, they are truly without help. As we'll see in a moment, that these widows you want to be more focused on are those, as we'll see in a few verses, are those who don't have family members to provide for them. That they're truly alone. Second, he says, They should be women who have a hope centered or fixed on God. That's where their hope lies. You know, hope centered on God is one that is evidenced in faithful or prayerful dependence because they should also be prayerfully dependent women. They should be women that we might even consider as as prayer warriors. Now, when trying to understand what it means to be a widow and even understand this passage, I, I, I really don't know. So I asked, actually, I asked a widow to just email me some thoughts. What is it like? So I just want to read what was emailed to me. This is what she said. She said, the title widow never appeals to anyone because they know attached to that is sorrow. Yet God in his word cares so deeply for the widow and even promises to be her husband. Every widow has her own story of loss and how she survives. There are often too many paths to point she can survive, to the past to the point she can survive. There are many factors involved, just like the differences in their story. A Christian widow survives with the shield of faith. That faith cannot be in family, friends, or things, but in God. The faith and the peace comes daily at the cross, seeking God, calling out to Him through her. Loneliness and weakness. It means seeking His promises through His Word, clinging to Him, when she doesn't know what the next direction is. He promises never to leave her or forsake her. This is such a comfort to her, especially when everything is unknown to her without her mate. When she is ill, the fear and anxiety can creep up on her like the dark of night. This is where the word of God that has been hidden in one's heart can rescue. Personally, I have made myself look at the patterns in my life since the loss of my husband and seen the hand of God. Trust me. God is always near. See, that's the widow indeed. That is the one who has put her hope in God. That is the one who is prayerfully dependent night and day. Then there are those who, in verse 4, are the widows who have family. Now, these widows may be truly widows indeed, but they're different in the sense that they have family, and so they're not truly left without help. Look at verse 4 with me. 
It says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, notice this, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, he's saying, and here's where it comes for you who are drawing your picture and for all of us right now. Here's where it comes. The reality is he's saying it's our responsibility to take care of our parents and our grandparents. And we need to learn this. We need to learn that this is the part of practicing piety. You say, what is piety? Piety is that, that idea of, of, of reverence towards God. It is it's godliness and reverence in action is what it is. In essence, he's saying, do you want to put your, your, your desire for godliness and, and reverence and worship for God in action? then take the responsibility to care for those widowed family members that you have. Provide for them. In fact, James chapter uh, says that uh, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. That is, if you really want to worship, if you want to take what you practice in here corporately and you want to take it out there, then you're going to attend to widows and their distress. That's real worship. And then he says this point. He says, do it out of gratitude. In essence, make some return to your parents. You owe it to them, is what he's saying. And I, just, I just want you to think about it for a second with me. Just, just stop and think, especially those of us who have kids right now, okay? And I'm right in the midst of this, all right? With six, seven, or six, eight, and eleven, those kids owe me something. <laughs> All right, I love them, Jack. I love those kids to death, but they owe me. Okay. <laughs> Think about it. You, your mother, uh, your your father, even they 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 brought you into the world. First of all, okay, they clothed you, they fed you, they housed you, they supported you, loved and nurtured you. Now I realize there are extreme cases where parents did not fulfill those responsibilities, but I say even then, it's a case, an opportunity to show the grace and the mercy of God that you know. The reality is to fail to do this is serious consequences. It affects the witness to a watching world. Look at verse 8. Drop down to verse 8 with me. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own family, I think it's even extended family possibly, and especially for those in his household, more immediate, get this, this is heavy. He has denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. Now, I don't believe he's saying you've lost your salvation or anything like that, but what I think he's doing, he's making very clear the seriousness of the lack of action to provide for your family members who are widows. The reality is we can talk about the faith and the grace of God, but then not to act on it was actually to be denying that faith. To be denying the grace that God has had on you to not return it to someone else, especially those who are widows in your family. The reality is even unbelievers in general know that they need to take care of their parents. So how are they supposed to believe the gospel that we share and we preach if we aren't even changed by it enough to take care of the widows in our family. It's worse than an unbeliever. Now one of the questions comes up is, well, how does this apply to the Christian today in the sense of 
what exactly and how do I go? To what extent do I go to, to take care of my parents? And there are various implications and there's various issues and, and options that one has to work through to decide. I'm not going to say here uh, that you must, they must come into your home. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that's not what's best for them. What you need to do is the way we take care of family involves numerous variables that require prayerful discernment and a genuine desire to love and care for those widows. That's how we provide for them. You take the counsel of others and you seek God's leading in how you do that. Now there's a third kind of widow addressed here. It's what I call the widow focused on self-centered pleasure. And these we're to warn and teach. Look what it says here. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they, I think this is the whole church and even these widows who are self-centered here, prescribe to them so they may be above reproach. This idea of giving self to wanton pleasure speaks of one who lives primarily for pleasures and luxury without much care for others. In essence, they're, it's, it's a self-centered lifestyle is what it is. And Paul says a self-centered lifestyle is really living death is what it is. He says you're not living at all. Because the reality is when you live for self, there's real no lasting joy in that. The reality is when you're living for self, really all you're doing is you're looking for the next thing that will please me. And it comes or satisfy me. And it's, a, it's an endless search because those things come and they go. And God says that's, that's like living death there. True life and joy is found in loving God and loving others. Taking pleasure in Him and His purposes. The reality is the church is not to support widows who are living like this. It doesn't mean that we may not make care for them in some way or some fashion, but they're not going to get our ongoing support. It doesn't mean that we don't care for them in the sense that we tell them truth, that we warn them about their lifestyle. We do that, but we're not going to enable their lifestyle either. We're not going to do it. Let me share a concern that, that I have with retirement, and I'm nowhere near retirement, but I've watched many who have entered retirement Here's my concern. Retirement's a good thing. Some of you say, yeah, it is. And you should look forward to that. There comes, it's inevitable, there comes a time when we can't do the same kind of work that we, we once did. There comes a time where we slow down in a sense, and we need to walk away from that job. But retirement does not include retirement from the cause of Christ. I don't care how old you are. God can use you wherever you are, whatever shape you're in. It's not to be for self-centered living. Again, that doesn't mean you don't enjoy things, you don't enjoy trips, enjoy them to the glory of God, but live for Him in the midst of it. Amen? Now, there is another group of ladies who they do not buy into this idea of retirement from Christ or even a widowhood that's self-centered pleasure. Here's what we call these widows that are put on a, a, a list. It says here in verse 9, 
A widow who is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. Now, some see this as a continuation of the widows indeed. I don't. I see, I see a difference in here. And what, what I see is, and I see this difference in light of verses 11 and 12, that it seems that these widows here have, have made some sort of pledge that they're going to forgo marriage in their latter years, being that they're over 60, and they're going to give themselves, it seems from the language and the context, to more full service to the Lord. So, so here are the qualifications for that. And these ladies may have received financial support, and they may not. It's just that the focus here seems to be on service. But notice the qualifications. It's not less than 60, which means seems to recognize that this might be the age of retirement, or this might be the age where really physically they couldn't do the work like they used to be able to do. It was an age when they were most less likely to remarry as well. They're to be the wife of one man, or more literally, a, a one-man woman, just like the deacons and the elders. They're to be women who had the, the character of faithfulness to, to the husband that God had given them at some point. They weren't philanderers. They weren't flirts. They were faithful to their husbands. And they have a reputation for good works. Is, when people see them coming around the church, they say, that woman serves the Lord. And then he describes some of these uh, gifts and ways that they worked. And in the rest of verse 10, it says, if she had brought up children... If she has sown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. The reality is, ladies with that kind of experience, we need them in the church more fully. We need to sign these ladies up and put them on a list. Because the reality is, women who are full of this kind of wisdom, and this kind of maturity, and this kind of life experience, is there not a lady in here, a young lady, who wouldn't want those kind of ladies pouring into their lives? This is the heart, I think, what Paul is talking about in Titus chapter 2 when he spoke of older women who, who taught younger women about life and about marriage and about family. We need these kind of ladies. And Paul upheld them. I was visiting a friend's church, and I met this older lady. I'm not even sure if she's a widow or not. But as I talked to her, what exuded from this, this older woman was just joy and love for the Lord. She spoke highly of my friend. And I was just impressed by this older lady, just her excitement about Christ and serving the church. And, and I later, later went and I talked to my friend and he said, he said, oh, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. He says, Matt, that lady is one of my best disciplers of women in this church. And I was just like. As I thought about that, that, that kind of captures the attitude of the women on this list here. The reality is I look around our church, not only we have women like that, but I see women uh, giving themselves to service the Lord in other ways as well. I know there's a widow in our church who beats me to the hospital. I get to the hospital and who's been here already? I just found out. She's there. I know a woman who leads, who's a widow who leads the charge for a partnership with our community ministry. She's passionate about it. She makes sure I stay passionate about it. I know a widowed man who is regularly passing out Bibles. He even goes to international conferences for this, this mission. I know one widow who recently passed and went to be with the Lord, who opened up her home to college students and was the epitome of hospitality. 
Those are the women that need to be put on this list. These are the women that need to be honored, supported, encouraged in their continued service. And there's one last group here who need our help, but who are not ready to be put on the list. These are young women who need to be encouraged towards family. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, But refuse to put younger women on the list. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard, in essence what they're feeling is that it's just youthful desires. This isn't necessarily sinful. But when they feel youthful desires, disregard of Christ, they want to be married, get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. The idea here is that they've made some kind of pledge to Christ, and we think the pledge, obviously from the context, is that they were going to forego marriage and focus just serving on the Lord. That's the idea here. And so here's what Paul says in response to that. And he, well, he actually says, here's another issue. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, indicating that we're still of the, the bearing of children age. They're very young. And he says this, keep house, that is manage the house, operate it, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Now, some of you might look at that at first glance and say, that's kind of harsh. Didn't you just tell him get back in the house? Is that what he's saying? No, Paul is not being mean at all. Actually, Paul is being very practical. And that's just what Paul is saying. He said, ladies, I understand your desire to be on this list and to serve. And I know right now that the, the bereavement doesn't even leave any thought for remarriage. But you are so young now. At some point, it's going to come. That desire, that core calling that you have to want to be a wife and have children, that's going to come back again. And so I don't want you to make a commitment that you're not ready to keep yet. Don't do that. And I also think he knew from experience that some of these ladies, young ladies who have maybe sought to do this, they... They weren't really feeling that committed because maybe they were too young. Maybe they were too full of energy that there wasn't even enough that what these ladies did on the list that these ladies needed to do more to have a family. And some of them were too immature or immature to be on this list yet. And so he says, guys, don't do that yet. As is possible and in time, go ahead and, and pursue and seek perhaps another mate and family. So as a, the church, we are exhort young widows for marriage and family. We are also to help all widows indeed, both young and old. We're not to able self-centered living of some, but we're to support and encourage certain widows to even fuller service. We're to take proper care of widows. Let me close with just another portion of that email from that widow. She went on to write this. She said, trust me, God is always near. You must put on the shield of faith and do the next thing, even when you feel like giving up. To serve others is truly a rare gift. When my husband passed, I knew God had to have another purpose for me, even in my weakest moments. She said, missions cried out. I thought I must be crazy to go alone to Africa. Well, he was my strength. And when you're just willing to be that vessel, he does handle the rest. He provided everything from who took me to the market, where and what I ate, and how I was to serve on the mission field. It was the widow's shield of faith that he provided for me. It is something I had to seek daily. Through that faith came the sense of peace. 
As a widow, I have learned so much about, being, about the importance of truly focusing on Him and my own prayer life seeking Him. I have a long way to go and grow, but share with any widow the shield of faith, seeking Him daily, yes, crying out to Him, His comfort, grace. His mercy and peace is unbelievable. I cannot begin to share the beauty He has shown me. How I know I must meet Him daily. As widows, we don't give up. We march forward with Christ, covering others with prayers and love. Whatever piece of geography you stand on, that is mission ground. If it is Walgreens, we are waiting for a script. We can smile and pray for those in line. It is amazing how simple a smile can embrace someone and change others' days. We have power and strength to change so many things as widows. It's all about Christ. That's the reality. It is about Christ. It's about Christ and how we treat widows as a church. And it's about Christ as widows live out their widowhood for the glory of God as well. May we be a church that treats our fellow members as a healthy family. May we be a church that treats widows as if they were a part of our family because they are. May we treat them well. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your truth that you have given us here. And Lord, I pray that this will not be some passing message that we heard and we file away. But Lord, I pray that you will truly move in our hearts. That Lord, that we might reflect your heart in our care for widows. And Lord, I pray that as we even go out today, that as we see widows around us, May it be in this church body, may it be in our neighborhoods, may it be in our family. May we seek ways and greater ways to show the love and care of God to them. We pray these things in the name of our Father and our Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said.